Blog Talk Radio. Pugilistic linguistics, check out the 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 pugilistic linguistics, check out Welcome, welcome once again to the Pugilistic Linguistic Show. I am your host, Michael Foster, the voice of reason in an unreasonable world. And I thank you for joining me once again to hear the rantings of the madman. I want to first say that uh, thank you all for coming out and liking my page. I'm working on fleshing out content on it to uh, keep you abreast of what's coming up, what's going on. Um, still trying to figure out how I want it to look first, but thanks for coming out to it to, to, to keep abreast of what's going on. Uh, I am now on iTunes, so you can go out and download the podcast at your leisure. Uh, so now you have even less of an excuse to not pay attention and to not follow. That being said, uh, welcome to my normal Sunday evening Rantings. If you notice the title of tonight's show, I call it Traditionally Speaking. And in the last few weeks, I've had a conversation with multiple people about tradition and its place in today's society. Now, the thing about it was it wasn't an in-depth conversation about tradition in and of itself, of course, it was dealing with the hot-button topic of the, the past few weeks, the most recent presidential election, and from there, we went elsewhere. So I'm kind of going to kind of wrap this whole toxic soup thing together and try to make it make sense. And this is before the most recent uh, this weekend's happenings, and I may touch upon that if we get around to it. So... We all know how the election went down. Uh, we were speaking about traditions. And I am old school to a, to a flaw almost. Uh, that's like my fatal flaw. I'm really traditional in a lot of my thought processes. Uh, you know, some things I'm progressive on, but a lot of my things, I'm, I take an old school tack to it. You know, I believe in you know, singers, I believe in musicians, I believe in music, I believe in if you're going to rap, have something to say, I believe in uh, children discipline, I believe there are a lot of things that I'm old school on. And this is why I'm kind of on the fence a bit about the most recent happenings. The Constitution was one of the conversations I was having with a friend, acquaintance, and he was of the notion that the Constitution is sufficient as it's written, uh, its conventions in are sufficient for today's society. And, you know, I'm not going to say he's wrong. I'm not going to say I'm right. I'm not going to say I'm wrong. I'm not going to say he's right. I'm not going to. I will say I don't agree with it. Um, I believe the Constitution was a terrific document written for its purpose. Its purpose was to create a new society, 
uh, away from King George, his rule in England. The settlers came over here. Um, we're not going to get into how they acquired the land. That's a conversation for a different topic. But they're here. They, they, they. Um, I'm, I'm stepping like, and you know, I'm not gonna step like. They cleansed the land as they needed to. They removed the indigenous people and, and decided to set up a society where people were already living. I mean, keep it 100. But you know, like again, that's a conversation for a different day. Uh, we need a document now to establish our new government, and the Constitution was born. I apologize. I believe it was written in 1787, 86, somewhere in that area. I don't know the exact date. That's my flaw. But the late 1780s. And that document, as it was written, was an amazing document for its time. There's an old saying that tradition or times invariably must change. You know, things, society progresses, society changes, then things must change with it. There's a grocery store chain here locally. And they apparently, and you can tell by, you know, how they conduct their business, they were family owned uh, initially. I'm not sure if they still are, but they were family owned initially. They, they exhibit a lot of older school values. You know, the, the, the bag boys and girls carry your groceries to the car for you. You know, they they just have an old school mentality. They're closed on Sundays. They're closed on a, a lot of holidays. Hey, I respect that. You know, um, there was a time in, in, in this country to where that was common. And I respect their hustle. They, they exhibit the values of their founders. The thing about it is, though, in 21st century America, that may not be conducive to success. And here's where it throws me into a weird space, because I'm all about being who you are. But there's a piece of me that says when you are your whole business is customer service or serving the customer, you must change with the customer's taste and or, or be left behind. As a customer, I need stuff on Sundays. I don't know if I mentioned, but they're closed on Sundays. I need stuff on Sundays. You know, I make some nachos for the game and I forget some cheese. If that's the only store in town, I'm in trouble. So on one hand, I respect the, the, the adherence to their core values. But on the other hand, as a 21st century consumer, times have to change. What do I mean by all that? I mean, going back to the Constitution. Like I said before, it's an amazing document written for what it's for. It was written for 13 colonies. It was written for a population of 10 million, let's say. I'm not even sure of the number, but let's say 10 million to keep it nice and round. And that document served its purpose for years. But even the government, even the states realized that that document was not to be the end all. 
It didn't cover everything it needed to cover. It needed to evolve. The Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to that Constitution. So the very fact that it needed amendments says all you need to know about the viability of that document untouched. It needed amendments. Hence, the first 10, Bill of Rights, freedom of speech, freedom to peaceably assemble, you know, uh, freedom to right to bear arms, uh, self-incrimination, illegal searches and seizures, the Ten Amendments. But beyond that, the document itself could not stand on its own in a changing society. Women couldn't vote per that original document. Black people, my people, were three-fifths human per that original document, upheld by a Supreme Court decision because of what was written in that document. Times change. That document needs to also. There are 26 amendments. So apparently there have been 26 individual instances to where someone said this document is not sufficient for today's times. So somehow or another through constitutional conventions, through bills, there have been 26 amendments to that constitution. Now, why do I bring all this tradition constitution? Because, again, the constitution was written 13 colonies, 10 million people, whatever. The thing about documents, process documents, because I deal with those daily in my in my day-to-day job, when you write a document that explains a process or a procedure and it covers a small audience and it covers a small block of business, it can be sufficient as it's written. The problem with that is as you expand your work or you expand the group that's dealing with it, that document more often than not breaks. As you stretch a document or a process or a procedure or whatever over a larger uh, area, its inefficiencies begin to reveal itself. If I write a procedure for five people covering two processes, that's fine. I now have 50 people with 25 processes. That document is no longer sufficient. It needs amending. The Constitution was written for 13 colonies and 10 million people. We now have 50 states and 360 million people that documents inefficiencies have been revealed at least 26 times. It needs amending. Specifically, I'm talking about the Electoral College. And I promise you this is probably the last time I bring up the election in in a podcast. But I might be lying to specifically the Electoral College. In the same conversation with this guy I was talking to, he brought up an instance Well, he brought up a, a stat and I didn't verify, didn't research it. Some arrived with it as, it as it was given to me. In the history of American presidential elections, there have only been five instances to where the popular vote and the electoral vote were incongruent. 
They didn't match. One went one way, the other went the opposite way. Five times since inception has that happened. I'm going to ride with that as gospel. My rebuttal argument was that may be true, but it's happened twice in the past five elections. So it's becoming more frequent. It happened in 2000. It happened in 2016. That in and of itself implies to me that there's a changing populace. There's a changing dynamic here. uh, Truth be told, I am not a fan of the Electoral College at all. I think it's a cop-out, personally, and we'll get to that. I've got uh, 16 minutes left. We'll get to that. As of last count, I think the last count was yesterday, Hillary Clinton has a one and a half million popular vote lead over the actual president-elect, Donald Trump. And technically, he hasn't been elected yet because the electors have yet to cast a vote. That's a whole different animal. That might go sideways, too. But right now, as we said, Hillary Clinton has a one and a half million vote lead over the president-elect, the presumptive president-elect, Donald Trump. Why is that important? It's important because it says that one and a half million people wanted one candidate over the other. One and a half more, one and a half million more people, I should say, wanted one candidate over the other, whereas the faceless electors are bound, with some exception, to vote for the opposite candidate because of the way the numbers fail. This in and of itself is the reason why the Electoral College, while a good idea maybe in the 1780s, 1880s, hell, maybe even the 1980s, no longer fits a 21st century society. It just doesn't. For example, now I'm going to give you the, the, my ideas about popular vote versus electoral vote. Let's say for the sake of argument, I need you to ride with me here for a second. The state of Illinois, let's say they have 8 million registered voters. They have 22 electoral votes. Okay, They have 8 million registered people to vote, 22 electoral votes. Remember that. And for the sake of argument, the vote between Hillary and Donald were, was very close. Matter of fact, it was split down the middle, but Hillary got 4 million Two votes, and Donald Trump got 3,999,998 votes. So in real numbers, Hillary Clinton has a four-vote lead going to the next state. The will of the people said it is so close that she should have a net four-vote victory, four votes out of eight million and whatever minuscule percentage that is. But in the elector votes, she gets all 22 of them. Doesn't matter there's a a four-vote difference. Doesn't matter the will of the people say it should be a close election right now. Using the elector system, 
she has a 22-vote lead out of 538, as opposed to a a four-vote lead out of all the elector, uh, the, the popular vote people, 120 million. So the will of the people in a popular vote election is more true than the elector because a 22 vote lead out of 538 is a much greater percentage than a four vote lead in 120 million. Reason one why the electoral college needs to be eliminated. In a popular vote, and I don't care whether the people are not uh, 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 are ill-equipped to have yeah, – that's the, that's the nature of the beast we live in because that's another vote reason why the Electoral College is, is saying they should still be around because the people this, – this isn't a democracy. It's a republic. Okay, then look. We can't split hairs here. Either we are going to make the popular vote or the people's vote matter – well, stop blowing smoke up my ass and remove the people's vote and let the electors do it. Don't give me the illusion that your vote counts. Go ahead and cast it. When the electors say, no, 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 we're going to give our votes to who we want to give them to. And we are the only ones that truly matter. For example, using, again, that same example, Hillary has a four-vote net lead over Donald. The state of California, which is our most populous state, has about 38.8 million people. Okay? 38.8, almost 40 million people. They have 55 electoral votes. 38.8 million, 55 votes, which means basically one electoral vote is cast for every 705,454 people. One vote for 705,000 and some change. The state of Wyoming, which is the smallest state in the union, or one of the smallest, I think it's second smallest actually, has a population of 584,000 with three electoral votes, which means there is one vote for every 194,667 people. So what does that mean practically? Practically, that means the state of California, better yet, in the state of Wyoming, one vote, one popular vote in the state of Wyoming is worth 362% of a vote in California. So one vote in Wyoming has 3.62%, sorry, 362% of the power or three and a half times the power of a vote in California. That's what I'm trying to say. So a Wyoming vote has three and a half times the power of a California vote. In the effort to make it quote-unquote fair, that is the result of an electoral vote. The other argument uh, uh, for the Electoral College, and I hear and, and I, I try not to tell people that that's just stupid. So I take a lot of things, I listen to a lot of things I probably shouldn't. I think about this, the dumber it gets. The, the, the thing about it is, well, we don't want large cities to dictate 
the 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 presidential candidate for the rest of the country. Why not? Why 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 should a Philadelphian be punished because two and a half other two and a half million other people live in the same area? Why should his vote count any less than somebody in the middle of Kansas that doesn't have anybody within a quarter mile of them? Why should a Wyoming Wyoming? Why should somebody in Wyoming's vote count three and a half percent more than a Californian just because more people live there? That makes absolutely no sense. You're punishing people for living in cities, in essence, where a vote in the middle of Nebraska can count more than a vote in the middle of Roseland. That's in Chicago, by the way. That's asinine. Okay, well, you know, let's 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 make it fair. No, you know, no. There, it shouldn't be fair. It shouldn't be even because the people don't live there. If everybody in the state of Nebraska votes for Donald Trump, cool. He got a seven hundred thousand vote lead on having people living in Nebraska, a million, whatever it is. If everybody in Iowa voted for Donald Trump, cool. He's got a three million vote lead. That's just the way it goes down. He got a uh, Hillary have, would have to make up those votes somewhere else. That's just how it goes down. You know, when somebody votes for uh, American Idol, let's say, I don't know if they still have TV. I don't even know if it's still on TV. But if somebody votes for American Idol, a vote in Kansas ain't worth two times the vote in in Dallas. A vote's a vote. One vote, one person. See, it's this hair splitting that drives you crazy. It's that it, it's that I want to give you the illusion that your vote matters, but I really don't want it to matter. So I'm going to try to put a, 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 a machination in to where it kind of matters, but it kind of doesn't. Now, what is the ultimate solution? Personally, the ultimate solution should be just removal of the Electoral College, but that will never happen. Proportionate votes, you know, electoral votes based on or, or you know, you know, I don't know. Votes by district, you know, I don't know. But I do know one thing. To have a one and a half million popular vote lead and be 70-some-odd votes down in the Electoral College is a perverted way to do business. Like this line in Law and Order I used to love, this is an odd way to run a candy store. It just is. We vote in a primary. Every vote, one vote, one person. Popular vote determines who makes it to the general election, then why do we change the rules once we get here? Large cities may determine a presidential election, but the thing about it is if we got 120 million voters and 70 million of them are centralized in larger cities, 
I mean, if you think about it, New York has New York City has what in the metro area, eighteen million. L.A. has what eleven million. Chicago has what eight million. Eighteen, eight, eleven. That's what almost thirty million people in three cities. Twenty-seven million in three cities. Oh, hell, 37 million. I can't add tonight. Anyway, you got 40 million in three cities. One third of your electoral, or one third of your voting populace is in three cities. So why shouldn't they have more influence on a national election when most of your voters are centralized in those three places? Why should a New Yorker be penalized because they don't live in the middle of uh, uh, Kansas, middle of Wyoming or Montana or Idaho? Why should he be punished? And the killing part about it is the very presumptive president-elect in 2012 just got through saying how much the Electoral College was a ripoff. Said it out of his own mouth. Well, I guess it was out of his own Twitter, of which he can't stay off of. So all of a sudden, 2016 is a good idea because it benefits him? Yes, five times since inception, the popular vote, electoral vote didn't match. But twice in the past five is the case. And as we get more fractured and more fragmented as a society, I anticipate that's going to happen even more. Because that fracturing of a society is the contributing factor to this complete and opposite end, opposite ended voting we do. In 2000, Al Gore won the popular vote, lost the election. 2016, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, lost the election. Think about think about how perverted, and then you're going to to extol the, the virtues of a system that rewards somebody for losing the popular vote. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful idea written by the founding fathers. Look, the founding fathers were cool. They wrote some good stuff, but they were not sages. Just because they were the founding fathers don't mean everything they touched turned to gold. They got some dumbass ideas in there, too. So everything they write should not be sacrosanct. Everything they write should be open to interpretation and actually open to change. They lived in the 1750s. It's 2016. There's nowhere in the world that it stays the same. Well-armed militias back in 1750 carried muskets. Well-regulated militias carried uh, one-shot muskets that you had to jam the thing down the, the front of it before you can shoot it again. You know, things change. And the document that governs our society should, too. I am not 60% human. Things change. Our documents should also
Now, again, I don't expect this to be popular. I don't do this for popularness, popular, popularity. It's late on a Sunday, y'all. You got to excuse me. I don't do this for popularity. I, I do this because this is kind of stuff that touches my heart. I mean, these things need to be addressed. Trump, wear your taxes, too. I ain't forgotten. So that kind of this kind of stuff needs to – we need to educate ourselves and think about maybe this constitution we hold as the 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 holy grail may need some tweaking every now and then. You know, ain't nothing wrong with a facelift. Tuck up around the eyeballs. Today's society dictates we don't live under seventeenth eighteenth century rules. Things need to be changed sometimes. We owe it to ourselves as a society to at least look at it. Because if this happens again, I'm telling you, it's not going to be pretty. Our faith in America's ability to land our own leader is being shaken. But anyway, I'm going to stop it right here. And as I normally do, I'm going to bid you adieu. And again, take care of yourselves because you all you got. Peace.